Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for the entertainment and educational purposes for our audience. Uh, with that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. So today we have Jeff Clark, editor of the Delta Report on the line. Jeff is a longtime market participant with an attractive reputation known for his trading expertise and ability. I personally followed Jeff for a number of years and have come to respect his work. Mr. Clark, welcome. Hey, thanks, Andrew. So how are things going in the People's Republic of California these days? As you might expect. <laughs> we'll, we'll stay away from the politics and, and the, the craziness of the taxation out here. We'll, you know, it's almost Christmas time, so things are great. Right, and the and the sun's out. I'm assuming. And the sun's out. There's a little bit of fog today. the uh, The fires have all died down, so the smoke is cleared. So, we're back to um, we're back to the beautiful views and the beautiful climate that we're used to. Yeah, that's great. Great. Well, well, Merry Christmas to you as it's coming up here. Thank you. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, for those who don't know, give us your background going back to your early days as a trader. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I guess um, I got started in 1982. I passed my Series 7 license. I was 18 years old. Uh, it was literally the week after I, I turned 18. I, I took the Series 7 exam, so I started off as a broker. Um, good time to, to start, by the way. That was, uh, you know, the, the low of a bear market back then. And so for the past, gosh, what is it now, 36 years, um, I've been actively involved in the markets and just trading in and out. I, I realized early on in my career that the the buy and hold strategy that I used to think was what I wanted to be doing uh, just wasn't a fit for me. You know, I wasn't wired that way. I'm wired more as a short-term trader. I like to be able to get into the market in the morning, get out in the afternoon, and uh, and sleep easy, knowing that um, I'm sitting on cash, and then try it again the next day. And you know, there are times when that works really, really well, and there's times where you look back and go, "Gosh, I wish I kind of held those positions." But uh, for my personality and for my uh, temperament, you know, trading has, has always been uh, more worthwhile to me than, um, than the buy and hold stuff. I, I tend to, I want to be more active. So, you know, that's, maybe I was the first person ever with ADD. I guess that's how I can put it. <laughs> oh, great. Well, appreciate, appreciate the information on that and your views. So, so Jeff, uh, well, I don't have a, a bunch of respect for your publisher, being a competitor, um, I do have a lot of I have I have a lot of respect uh, for the expertise and your work on the markets, your ability to trade them, and of course, a lot of respect for our friendship. With that, um, tell us about uh, the Delta Report, and then after that, let's get into the big market and tell us where you think we're headed over the next 12 months. Sure. Well, well, first of all, thanks thanks for the nice comments. Um, the Delta Report is basically it's my it's my weekly service. Um, it's a subscription-based service where I give folks trading advice. I, I make recommendations. Um, you know, I'd like to say I make one recommendation a week, but it turns out to be more than that because we also have a daily blog that I write on, and you know, there's usually one or two trades that'll pop up each week on that. So, uh, as a subscriber, typically we're, we're trading probably two trades a week, maybe three sometimes, and it's all short-term oriented. You know, the, the recommendations I make in the Delta Report are designed to play out within about uh, four to six weeks. And the comments and the trades that I recommend in the blog typically trade out, trade out within two or three days. So 
uh, like I said, everything is, is sort of short-term oriented, and I use, personally, I use what folks would call a reversion to the mean strategy. In other words, I look for conditions to, to reach extreme levels, either extremely overbought or extremely oversold, and then I simply make a trade that bets on everything snapping back to neutral. So it's kind of like, you know, we'll use the rubber band analogy, right? The proverbial market's rubber band. When it gets stretched too far in one direction, it pretty much always snaps back. And so I just wait until things get stretched really far in one direction, and then I bet on the snapback. And um, we, we, we have a very good track record. We have uh, a lot of good success. I have folks that have been with me for years. And Delta Report, uh, I've been publishing this for a little over two years, but I, I previously with a different publisher, I was with for 13 years basically doing the exact same thing. So it's, it's really just sort of uh, piggybacking on what I try to do on a daily basis in my own personal account and share that with subscribers. And um, like I said, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Now, if you want to talk about the current market conditions, um, this is a nutso market. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the craziest markets I've seen in years. And I enjoy it because the volatility is just so darn extreme. We go from uh, one level of extreme conditions to the other. Um, I know, Andrew, going back, uh, you know, think about the, the Thanksgiving week, right? Everybody thought the stock market would be higher during Thanksgiving week. And I thought the same thing too, because the market is always higher during Thanksgiving week, something like 80% of the time. And we didn't get that. Instead, the market sold off really, really hard. And by the time we finished that week on Friday afternoon, the, the S&P, I think, was at uh, 2632 or so, we had levels of extreme oversold conditions we haven't seen in, in years. And so I told subscribers then that, you know, look for a pretty decent rally to start the next week. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we had six days of nonstop up moves in the market. And I think the S&P rallied something like 6% in six days, which is just an unbelievable move. But at the same time, as we headed into that sixth day of, of these enormous gains, I told subscribers back then, I said, look, this is getting a little bit overheated. We've seen conditions go from extremely oversold. Now they're extremely overbought, and they're more overbought than we've seen in, in several, several months. And so I told subscribers then, look for a little bit of a pullback. And boy, have we gotten that. We've gotten more than a little bit of a pullback. Um, the S&P this morning hit, I think it got as low as 25.85 before bouncing off of it. So we went from extremely oversold to extremely overbought, and we're back down and extremely oversold again. And these are the conditions that are, are frustrating as all heck for investors, but they're delightful for traders because we have the opportunities to, to jump in and out of positions uh, really fast. And so trades that would normally take you know, months to play out are playing out within days or even hours. And that's, that's where you know, my kind of trading ideology tends to pay off pretty well. Right, no, it, it's uh, interesting and you can, as a, as a trader, you can take advantage, especially with your strategy you can take advantage of, of both the up, the ups and the downs. And of course, with that, the overbought, oversold conditions that, that come about. So it's, it's certainly yeah, a bumpy I, ride for the. It's a bumpy ride and I don't want to make it sound like it's a super easy to do. I mean, believe me, when, when the rubber band is stretching really far to the downside, it is really tough to pull the trigger to buy stocks. 
but that's you know over my career that's always been the right thing to do you know you buy in new extremely oversold conditions and you sell or sell short in new extremely overbought conditions and just this morning as the market was was heading down to 28.85 the S&P um, I sent out a note to subscribers that this is where I was looking to buy and uh, now we've got this nice little 40 point bounce and I'm telling folks okay maybe what we'll do is we'll trim what we bought this morning and so in this kind of environment the important thing is um, you know you wait until things get extremely oversold or overbought you wait till conditions stretch or the rubber band stretches pretty much as far as it possibly can in one direction and then you place the trade and that tends to be a lower risk trade even though it's really emotional to do right everybody else in the world is selling everybody on TV is talking about oh the market's getting hit again and oh you know we're in a bear market and all these sorts of things well that's when you kind of have to step up and buy and then as things flip and go the other way and everybody gets super excited about the market and everybody says oh we're off to new highs again well gosh that's when you gotta you, you gotta pull the trigger and get out and and maybe even take short positions so it's um, it's kind of a contrary strategy on steroids which right. like I said it's 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 tough emotionally to do but as long as you're aware of what your emotions are and this is something that that traders struggle with and, and truly after 35 36 years trading the market I struggle with too but I recognize there's a certain feeling I get in the pit of my stomach that tells me that you know it, it's it's time to buy and it goes against all the other emotions that you're feeling at the time but you know most people when you react when you when you react on emotion you tend to do the wrong thing and so if you recognize that you 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 look at things a little bit differently and you see that when you feel panicked when you feel like oh the world's going to end that's the time to put money to work and with when you feel euphoric and you feel like you can't do anything wrong that's the time to take some money off the table and so that's you know in my entire career it, it's that's what we focus on and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do but it's the right thing to do right and and today it looks like today uh there was what a test of the uh February, March 2018 lows potentially here on the S&P, and it looks like so far today it's holding up. So what's what's your view on breaking those lows, and when do you believe uh, things are going to start to roll over? Well, from a very short-term perspective, I am bullish right now, and that's going to seem odd for anybody who's read my stuff because I've been talking bearish for you know most of this year. But again, looking at it from a short-term perspective, I think conditions have gotten so oversold that we're probably due for a bit of a bounce here. Um, I am not optimistic at all for next year. I think next year is going to be rough for the stock market. And I think uh, I think the top that we saw in early October this year is probably going to prove to be the top of the bull market. And that's a weird thing to say because I know a lot of other folks are looking for, you know, melt-ups in the market and, and strengthen to, I don't know, April or so, which is typically what happens seasonally. Um, and we, we may get that, but I don't see us taking out the high of the S&P at 2940 or so. I don't see that happening um, without us suffering through a, a much stronger bear market first. Um, but for the very short term, for the next couple of weeks, I'm bullish. I mean, it's really hard to be bearish during you know the holiday season, right? Everybody's optimistic. Everybody's got good feelings. You know, there's chestnuts roasting by an open fire, all that sort of stuff. So you tend to have really good feelings, and the market does tend to do pretty well. Uh, from mid-December until the end of the month, and we're rapidly approaching that 
particular seasonal strength. And so the current bout of weakness that has created these oversold conditions, I think sets us up nicely for uh, a rally from mid-December until, you know, maybe to Christmas or so. So I'm optimistic for the next couple of weeks, but I'm pessimistic for the next year. So how's that for succinct? No, I think it's good. I, I think that, uh, you know, we'll see see if people, everybody's drinking the same eggnog this, this time around here before the end of the year or, or what's going to happen. I, I, I kind of share somewhat of the same view. I, I think that uh, we may have some, a little bit of a run, whether or not we break the October highs, I'm not sure, but uh, certainly short term due for, uh, due for a bounce and it'll be a good opportunity for people who aren't ready to be more positioned. Um, so, Moving on, so you're an options professional. So tell us why you like options so much and use them as your primary vehicle. Well, you know, I got into options originally um, for the leverage. I like the idea of being able to risk a little bit of money and then, you know, make five or six or seven times my money off of it. Um, but after being smacked down a couple of times, I, I figured out that options are really best used as ways to reduce risk, which is what they were intended for. You know, the original options were designed for folks to, you know, either buy puts to hedge long positions or to buy call options, which profit as the market goes up, but to buy call options as a substitute for buying stock. You know, you can buy a stock at $100 a share, or you can buy an option for two or three bucks a share. And, you know, if you're right, you know, you'll, you'll make pretty much the same amount of money on the option as you would on the stock, but if you're wrong you can lose a ton more on the stock than you can lose on an option. You know, a lot of folks buy you know, a hundred dollar stock and say, well, we'll, we'll set a, a stop loss at 20%. So we're willing to risk 20 bucks. Um, that seems to be a pretty big hit. I would prefer to buy a call option on that hundred dollar stock where I'm risking two or $3. And the most I can lose is that two or $3. And so that's why I like options. You know, a lot of folks, unfortunately, um, you know, they look at that and go, well, you could lose 100% on the option premium. And that's absolutely true. You know, I buy options all the time and I lose 100% quite often. But that 100% is usually a small fraction of what I was willing to risk in the stock itself. So I think as long as you trade options with the idea that you're using it as a way to reduce your risk, um, it's very beneficial. It's when you use options as a way to get rich quick that you run into trouble. And most folks, you know, by the time they figure that out, they've blown up their account. So, you know, when, when folks say, you know, I can never trade options because I hear horrible things about her, or I've had a horrible experience, well, it's because you probably didn't use them the right way to begin with. And I say that with a lot of experience because I did that myself. But if you can use options as a way of reducing risk, then they're phenomenally productive. You can make just as much money as you can owning stock, and you can risk a lot less doing it. And so that's really where my attraction comes to the option market. And the great thing about options is is the the strategies you get to employ change oftentimes because of the way the market conditions change. So you go from, you know, buying speculative calls to selling uncovered puts on conservative positions to doing straddles and spreads and all these sorts of things. There's any number of things you can do that help you to reduce risk. And then many times the strategies you employ that are designed to reduce risk also offer greater rewards than buying the, under the underlying stock. 
And I know I'm talking fast, so I'm going through all this stuff relatively quickly. Um, but it's, you know, in the short time we have available, I can't possibly tell you, you know, everything about how the options market works. But the bottom line, if anybody takes anything out of this, is if you use options to reduce risk, that's the best strategy you can employ. Agreed. And and for us, I, I agree with many of your of your points, and, and we share some a lot of the same views on on why we should be using them. So moving on, uh, in, back to kind of in general, give the audience an idea of how they might employ a hedge or insurance strategy to protect on the downside going forward. Well, you know, if, if you have a bearish idea of the market for next year, as, as I do, um, I think stocks are you know probably in for a little bit of a rough period. Um, there's there's several things you can do. I mean, first off, um, outside of options, you want to make sure that you're not margin to the hilt. You know, you don't want to be borrowing a bunch of money to to buy stocks in an environment where stocks tend to be falling. And so, I think trimming down your margin balance is is critical. And one of the ways to do that is take a look at some of the long positions that you have. If you still like them, you know, you can sell the stocks and then simply replace it with an option position. So, for example, I, I'm just I'll throw a name out there. Let's say you like IBM and IBM, I don't know what's it trading at these days, maybe 125 ish, something like that. Um, you know, or it's 120 ish. So rather than owning the stock here at 120, you sell the stock and you replace it with an option, maybe four or five, six months down the road that gives you the right to buy IBM at 120. And that's going to cost you about, uh, looks like going out to June, it's about $6. So rather than having $120 per share at risk, you have $6 per share at risk. If the stock goes up, the option's going to go up appreciably. And if the stock falls, the most you're going to lose is that $6. So if, if IBM winds up in a tough situation where it loses 20% or, or 25% or whatever it is, um, you get clocked on that if you own the stock. Whereas if you own the option instead, most of your money's sitting over in cash, and the most you have at risk is, is 6 bucks. So you might lose 100% of that $6, but that's far better than losing, you know, 20 or 25% of a $120 stock. And the the second thing you can do, rather than um, being sort of passive in a bear market, is you can use options to profit as stocks fall, and that's by buying put options. And you can use uh, put options on maybe the S&P 500. Uh, the SPY is the is the exchange rate fund for that. So if you have a $100,000 portfolio and you want to hedge that without selling any of it and incurring capital gains taxes, you can hedge that by buying put options on the S&P 500, the SPY, exchange trader fund, and just using a, a small portion, probably one or 2% of your account size so that you are protected against a strong decline in the market by owning these put options, which go up in value as the market falls. And if the market continues higher, the most you've risked on the put options is maybe 2% of your portfolio. And if the market goes up 2%, well, that's the that's the cost of your insurance. So you basically paid for that as the market appreciates. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. No, it's it's good stuff. And um, I, I agree. I think it's a, a good idea for people to certainly look at everything you just said there, their long positions, their margin balance, if they have any, and getting more set up and robust for a decline. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I can't I can't emphasize this enough, Andrew. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to talk over you here for a second, but boy, if you if you've enjoyed this bull market and you've been margined, you know you, you've you've borrowed money to invest in stocks and you're sitting on that right now, 
you got to trim that. You got to take that off. Uh, you don't want to wind up in a situation where the market falls precipitously and your brokerage firm sends you a margin call, which forces you to sell your stocks out, you know, at these at low prices in order to pay down the margin debt. It's better to take advantage of, you know, appreciated equity prices and use that to sell off and pay down your margin debt. So if you're sitting there and you've margined your account and you haven't taken anything off yet, now's probably the time to do it. Or if we do get the rally that I'm looking for over the next week or two, please use that as an opportunity to to trim down that margin balance because mar leverage is what you know most folks <laughs> eventually wind up regret using leverage to buy stocks and I, and I think that's what we're headed into. So uh, anybody who's been margined a bunch, now's the time to start taking it off. Yeah, you want to sell into to good, you know, good strength, not not weakness. Makes makes sense and and uh, certainly well well worth noted. Um, so, Jeff, on on kind of the long side though, uh, what what investment speculations are you excited about today, if any? Well, there's a, a handful of things that I like. I you know I, I hate to call myself this, but I'm a gold bug. I love I love the gold stocks and the silver stocks. And uh, it's a love-hate relationship, really. I love them. They don't seem to like me very much right now. Um, but we are entering a, a period of time where gold and silver stocks tend to do really well. You know, mid-September until about mid, or, I'm sorry, mid-December until about mid-February uh, is a seasonally strong period for gold and gold stocks. And I think we're seeing that. Um, most of the gold stocks are higher over the past week while the rest of the stock market's lower. And I think once we get the the December Federal Reserve meeting out of the way, which is uh, next week, um, I, I think that will light the fire beneath the rest of the gold market. So I really like the setup in gold that I'm seeing right now. From a contrarian point of view, I, I'm attracted to oil stocks. And God help me on this one, because oil stocks have done nothing but just drop like a rock for the past six weeks. Now, obviously, that's partly due to oil itself falling in value. I think oil is down, what, 30% or so. The value of a barrel of oil has dropped from 75 down to 50 over the past six weeks. So the oil stocks get hit. But, um, you know, just from a, a sentiment viewpoint, from a, a reversion to the mean strategy, from a rubber band stretching to the max strategy, I really like the look of the oil sector. And it does feel a little like trying to catch a falling knife at this point, but you have some oil stocks that are paying three and a half, four percent dividends. You have a lot of them trading at, you know, 10, 11, 12 times earnings, which is a, a significant discount to their historic valuations and a discount to the current S&P. So I think you have a really good setup for the energy sector to, to put on a decent bounce. And so I'm personally kind of trying to position into that. Semiconductors, I think, are probably setting up for a decent bounce if we get a, you know, a mid-December rally in the market, like I think we will. I think the semiconductors will participate. And gosh, you're going to think I'm nuts on this, but I think the home builders also look pretty attractive for a bounce. Not necessarily for, you know, holding them for three, four, five, six months, but certainly holding them for two or three weeks. Um, I like the look of that sector as well. Yeah, well, all of them, all of those look great for for a short term trade. Um, is there any uh, any specific names you you want to mention, uh, kind of covering what you just said there? Oil stocks, home builders. Yeah, I, I think you can buy any of the ETFs. I think if you go with um, 
in the whole home builder sector, XHB is the, uh, the ETF. Um, that's X-Ray Harvey Bravo. Um, let's see, in the oil sector, I think the Exploration and Services Group, which is OIH, is the, uh, the Vanek Vectors uh, Oil Energy Services ETF. Um, and in that group, Schlumberger and Halliburton are the two big holdings in that fund. I think both of those look good for a decent bounce. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I would throw some money in here. Um, over in the semiconductor sector, I think you, you know, you can look at something like Intel, which is an obvious play if the semiconductors bounce. Intel is going to bounce. Uh, Skyworks Solutions, uh, SWKS is a symbol for that. If the semiconductors bounce, that'll bounce as well. Um, I haven't taken positions in those yet. Um, I do own a handful of oil stocks that I bought this morning and I bought on Friday. And I have uh, one or two holdings in the home builders, which I bought uh, a little over a week ago, and those are up from there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like those situations. So there's a handful of, of uh, ideas that listeners can take a look at. Okay. So let's let's fast forward uh, and make some assumptions. So let's say let's just say that the market crashes, uh, say, 50%. Uh, over the next, uh, you know, t two years, and then in the in the uh, towards towards the end of that decline, we're getting near a 50% level. So let's assume that comes. And what at, at what point uh, would you start to deploy capital on the long side? And where what Pacific sectors under this decline scenario would you really focus on? Well. Here, here's the thing: if you can go back to 2009, right? The mark the market bottomed in March of 2009, and there were just some absolute screaming bargains. But very few folks were willing to step up and buy at that time. It was the hardest thing in the world to do because the market just seemed to fall every single day. But you had some spectacular opportunities to make money. And that's really where, you know, folks worry about a bear market, but I look forward to a bear market because it's the decisions that you make during bear markets that actually create fortunes. You know, people can do okay during bull markets, right? The market moves up and everybody makes money, everybody's happy. But it's the decisions you make during bear markets that can make you a fortune because you have these amazing valuations. You know, you had uh, Bank of America trading at, what, $3 a share back in March of 2009. You had Citi Citigroup trading at 12 or 13 You had Hertz, I think, was trading at a buck. I mean, you had these, these really amazing deals. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity of being able to do that again. And I can't tell you at what price level I think that happens. Uh, you know, certainly it's attractive when you can find stocks that are trading in single digit uh, price earnings ratios and they're paying five or six or 7% dividends. And you have some of that right now, to be honest with you, in the oil sector, you have that in the housing market, you have that. So you already have some of these sectors that are already beaten up to the point where, they, they look like amazing deals. Um, but I think you, you get even more amazing deals as we reach the bottom of the bear market. So I, I can't tell you exactly what price point I would put at, but it would be one of those situations where, you know, that everybody you talk to, nobody likes the idea of buying stocks. Everybody's disappointed. Everybody is depressed about it. Everybody looks at the 401k balance and thinks, oh, my God, I, I don't know how we're ever going to be able to retire and that's the situation we had in March of 2009. And anything close to that over the next year or two is 
basically where you, you got to be willing to step up and buy. And I, I don't know, or I can't say specifically again at what price level I think that represents on the S&P. I could guess that it means maybe a 50% haircut. You know, if the S&P, uh, we topped around 2,900, if the S&P is down somewhere around 1,500, um, I, I think that would be, that would have caused enough pain and enough suffering um, that you would have these tremendous values available. Um, again, don't know specifically, but you know, it, it's kind of, I'll know it when I see it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. No, I, I agree with you. And I would just encourage the audience to take a hard look at some of the robust businesses across the industries and sectors. Take a look at what happened in 2000, you know, 2008-ish, what kind of declines from their highs they represented. You know, so maybe a decline in McDonald's obviously is going to be different than a decline in, say, British Petroleum. Uh, but kind of identify baselines and then watch for those baselines to play out when the prices do come down uh, this time. So people should take a look at that, and it really makes sense to have plenty of capital available at these bottoms. And that's when you start to use things like margin. So it makes makes a lot of sense at those levels. Exactly. Um, exactly. I totally so agree. Jeff, uh, so moving to a place that you've traded in and out of a couple times, um, and you're, I know you're familiar with probably on the personal side, but what is your take on the state of the nuclear power industry and the situation regarding uranium mining? You know, that, that's one of the frustrating things because we can all look at it. We all understand the supply and demand equations, right? You know, and how price is affected by supply and demand. Um, and in the uranium, uranium situation, it just seems to have taken so long for this start to move, this to start to move higher. And gosh, really smart folks in the industry have been calling for a bottom in uranium for years, and it just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. But you have a situation where you have uh, even the the regular constant demand that's typical of the industry with zero growth we're not producing enough uranium to meet that. And so you have a, a condition where uranium prices have to go higher. They just do because the, the demand, even without any growth at all, far outstrips the potential supply. And so uranium prices have to go higher. So you have to like the possibility of buying uranium and uranium-oriented stocks at this point. But... I've been saying that for a year, and we're just now finally starting to see uh, a move higher on some of the big names in the uranium sector. So I think we're at the beginning and the very early stage of a bull market in those particular stocks. But I'll caution you, I thought that you know, six months ago. I thought a year ago, too. And But but at least if you bought it six months ago or you bought it a year ago, you're, you've got small profits today. So we got that going for us. But it is it is painstakingly slow for this sector to turn around. And that, unfortunately, is sometimes what happens in the commodity sector. And uh, but bottom line is, you know, you have you have a uh, even without any growth at all in the uranium business, in the uranium demand, you don't have enough mining going on in that sector to generate the supply that's necessary to meet that demand. So that means prices have to go up. So at some point, that's going to be reflected in the stocks. 
Right. And for us, you know, we've, oh, I want to say, what was it, March or April of 2017. So officially when we put out our, our nuclear energy report, you know, we've, we've also been wrong for, well, by the time we get to April of 2019, we would have been wrong for about two years. The, the good thing, there's been more or less three trade setups that have occurred since then, or, or at least two that I can recall that were nice, nice moves that were fake outs that, that had you just played the trading game with them, you would have done quite well. And, and with that, then the good thing is you and I both know is you can be, you can afford to be wrong for a time in these types of stocks, because as you know, they can generate a small fortune as well um, in a quite a short period of time. So it's interesting to see, you know, what your thoughts are on it and uh, you know, where it's kind of headed. We've done a lot of work on the space for, for uh, the last two years or so. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very optimistic that things will move. And, and uh, it's just a matter of being patient because these things, as you know, just buying, the, just buying these little stocks, Jeff, can be, you know, more or less just a call option that never expires, more or less. Uh, exactly. Especially if you, exactly. Are, you know, the correct, the correct names and, and the ones that have survived uh, this, this bear market that's been in place since, you know, 2011 Fukushima. So exactly. If you, if you look at if you look at names in the sector that have uh, very limited debt, you know, so, again, it's, it's kind of like the, the comments I made about not having a whole lot of margin in the stock market. If you don't have a lot of debt as a corporation, you don't have bankruptcy risk. And as long as you can um, meet your regular payments without having to worry about meeting the interest payments on top of it, then you can survive during bad markets, even if you produce zero revenue. And so that's where a lot of the, the companies in the uranium sector have fallen off the charts and then gone bankrupt because they had too much debt. But the remaining stocks that are in the sector, um, the ones that, would, that have good balance sheets, those are the ones that are going to prosper. And those are the ones where you're going to see, you know, five and ten times your money in a relatively short period of time once that sector kicks back into gear. And I think we're not too far from that. I, I really think we're not too far from that at this point. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can break. I think what are we at? Twenty, twenty-eight, twenty-nine dollars a pound. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we can break the the thirty. And of course, uh, you know, we were at seventeen and a half uh, back, you know, two years ago. So it'll be be interesting to see if it holds this time or if it's another, you know, potential fake out. Uh, and then the other piece of that, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment, is is how these things will uh, react in a broad market declining environment. Um, so, is there any is there any names in the uranium mining space that you uh, that you like to trade, or ones maybe you like for the long term? Well, liquidity wise, the only one that I I trade in and out of with any consistency is uh, CCJ, right, Kim Hill, um, because that's got the liquidity. I can buy options on it. I can go from there. And when I'm looking at the smaller stocks, and I, and I won't talk about them because you know I I own a handful of them, and I don't want. Uh, I don't want to look like I'm trying to pump the prices up a little bit, but some of them are, are names that you've written about as well, Andrew. So, um, you know, I own a handful of those and, and, I, and I like the setup on them. But again, in that particular sector and at this particular time, it's really going to take some some patience. You just sort of have to sit and wait for for what you know is going to be the end result. Anytime you have a supply and demand curve that looks the way it does in uranium, you're eventually going to wind up with higher prices. Yeah, but eventually doesn't mean imminently, right? I mean, eventually means it might take a little bit longer than you think, but I think we're on the right side of it. 
right and the and the trading opportunity that was available earlier this year with with and there's not many for the audience most people know there's not many listed on the new york stock exchange but one in particular i'll mention energy fuels had a fantastic uh, option option based or just a technical trade uh, setup earlier this year uh, when, when energy fuels was you know back down boy i can't remember where it was but it seemed like it was sub sub a dollar 60 of course today mm -hmm. it's it's over three if i recall so it's uh it's moving, moving quite impressively, and, and had you saw the technical setups back then, uh, it would have been a press, an impressive option trade to start the year off in the sector. Uh, anyway, so moving on, um, what about, and you kind of talked about it, but I want to ask you this to get a little bit more in detail. What about natural resources? What do you see going forward with things like gold and the gold equities? How do you think these will perform during a market crash? Will it be like a 2001-2002 setup, or is it more like you believe will it be the same as a kind of a 2008 setup? Yeah, you know, it's a tough call. You know, back in 2000 and 2001, the gold equities were horribly depressed, and so they served as a really good hedge against a market that had gotten a little bit, um, well, a little bit, a lot ahead of itself. So as the stock market fell, gold equities did pretty well. In 2007, 2008, we didn't quite have the exact same thing. You know, in 2007, um, gold stocks did really, really well in the final stages of the the equity bull market, and so you had um, a lot of pent up profits there. So as the stock prices started to fall, you know, institutional investors who had owned or who had bought gold stocks and had decent profits in them were selling those in order to meet uh, redemption demands and liquidations in their funds and that sort of thing. So you had you know two different worlds there. I think because the gold sector is so horribly depressed right now, you know, gold really has not participated in the bull market in the past several years. I think they're going to look a little bit more like the the 2000 2001 situation, where you actually have gold stocks serve as a hedge against the a broad stock market decline. I don't think many institutions have exposure to gold right now. I know a lot of individuals certainly don't. I mean, they've just been you know, so battered and so depressed. You know, you talk to anybody about gold stocks and, you know, their eyes glaze over and they look for somebody else at the cocktail party to talk to. So uh, there's not um, there's 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 not a lot of enthusiasm out there. And that's different than what it was in 2007, where, again, they participated at the end of, of the equity bull market. And I think you can see that in the, the reaction over the past several weeks. You know, the, the stock market itself has been falling. But the gold stocks actually look pretty good. You know, GDX, which is the, the Van Eyck Vectors uh, uh, ETF on gold gold stocks, um, I think it's up something like 9% over the past six weeks. And that compares to, you know, the broad stock market in the U.S., which is down, gosh, we're down, what, almost 5% now for December. So uh, I, I think you're starting to see them serve as a little bit of a hedge. And part of that is due to, you know, the, the tremendous, uh, lack of ownership in institutions and individual investors. I don't think anybody owns these stocks anymore except the most diehard gold bugs. And so when you know, times get tough and gold starts to move up and gold stocks start to move up, I think there's going to be a kind of a rush into uh, the gold sector. So I think there's there's an opportunity for outsized gains, at least for the next several weeks, certainly during the, the seasonally strong period. And I think it might even last uh, uh, longer than that, if the market does, if the broad stock market does what I think it will, it will do next year. Well, well said. Um, it's, it's certainly, if you look at the uh, 
the reaction of gold and, and gold equities, uh, certainly just, just recently, um, there's certainly kind of an inverse relationship that's kind of going on, which hasn't really, that hasn't really occurred in the last couple of years. So it's, it's interesting to see what's, how, how that character is changing. Uh, certainly didn't see this a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, you didn't. And and gold used to be, I remember, gosh, back in, when the stock market crashed in 1987, October 19th, 1987, I remember there were, I think, exactly 19 stocks that went up that day. And uh, six of them were bond ETFs, and the other 13 were all gold stocks. And so I, I remember gold is supposed to be a hedge against you know a tough time period. And we didn't see that in 2007, 2008. But I do remember seeing it in 2000, 2001. And so I think if we wind up in a, in a tough market situation this time around, uh, you know, we might see the gold sector prove itself to be that sort of, you know, turbulence hedge that we know it to be. Yeah, well, let's, let's hope it works out. It'll be interesting. And certainly uh, folks need to have some exposure, maybe not a full, full-blown exposure, but certainly have exposure and, and leave some dry powder for maybe some better prices in these commodities and, and natural resources that have really gotten hit uh, pretty hard across the board. Um, so, Jeff, uh, any future changes to your plans uh, as it relates to you continuing your, your uh, trading profession and your, uh, you know, work as a, as a writer writing up your trades? Uh, are you planning on continuing to do this or are you uh, thinking about retirement or is it going to go well past retirement? Well, you know, I've already retired twice and it, it didn't stick either time. So <laughs> I guess I, you know, the thing is, I, I love what I do. I love trading and I will always trade uh, my own account. And when I retired from the brokerage industry uh, back in 2000, this was, this was great. This was September 30th, 2007. I closed the doors to my, my stock brokerage firm, um, actually handed the keys off to somebody else. And that, clearly qualified as, you know, market timer of the year award for that. Um, but that was the best time in the world to, to exit the brokerage industry. But I always wanted to keep trading. And so um, I had reached out to uh, Stansbury Research and they offered me a publishing gig where I would I would talk about the stuff that I'm trading and write a newsletter about it and do that sort of thing. Because I had seen so many people who had done what I did, left the trading business and figured they would just trade their own money for a while. And what happens when you do that, when you're not responsible for anybody else, is you tend to, you know, relax your discipline a little bit. You know that if you take a loss on one thing, you can make it up some other time. And, and so you don't take it quite as serious because you're only accountable to yourself. You're not accountable to clients or subscribers or, you know, folks who are relying on you for advice. So you don't take the time to explain things and make the argument as to why a stock is a good investment or why it's not or why you should be buying, or why you should be selling, or any of these other things. And so you sort of relax that. Um, and so many of my friends who had done that um, wound up in, in tough times because of it. So I didn't want that to happen to me, so I got into the newsletter business specifically because I wasn't going to be trading other people's money anymore. I wasn't going to be running my brokerage firm. I wanted to be held accountable to the decisions I made. And I was going to continue to trade my own money, and I wanted to be able to make the the cohesive arguments that are necessary to convince folks this is a smart idea or this isn't a smart idea. And so that's why the newsletter uh, business worked well for me because I was able to make my arguments and maintain my discipline in trading. 
and I've loved it. I've been doing this now since, you know, I, I started writing newsletters in 2003. Uh, so I guess, what are we, 15 years into this? And I can't imagine not doing it. And just like I can't imagine tr not trading. It's just something I enjoy doing. So, you know, when, when folks talk about retirement, you know, I, I sit around the house. I'm, right now I'm sitting in my pajamas, <laughs> which is, I, I hate to admit it because it's, it's almost 11 o'clock my time, but I'm sitting in my pajamas because I've been busy all day and, and I don't have to leave the house or, or do anything crazy. So I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit retired anyway, but I'm working as hard as I ever have before, but it's, it's something I love to do. So I don't really, it's, it's almost like a lot of folks retire to go play golf and because that's their hobby. Well, trading is, is kind of my hobby. Um, but it's a, obviously a serious business for me as well. So it's something, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to wind up doing, you know, as long as I can draw breath, I'm going to be trading. And if I'm going to be trading, then I, I think I need to be held accountable to it. And I think the best way to do that is through the newsletter business. So, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem, you know, uh, bigger than it is, but the, the fact that I get to write about the stuff that I'm doing and the stuff that I love and, and the trading opportunities that I find and share that with everybody I, I can't imagine doing anything better. You know, I, I just really enjoy what I'm doing. So I will be doing it for a long time. Well, good points of wisdom. And uh, certainly, um, you know, just having, having that kind of setup where you don't, there's no, you know, there's no reason to retire. You love what you do. And, and I think that people should, you know, consider that because, I don't, I don't plan on it either. I enjoy doing what I do and there's no reason to retire. It's something to just keep, keep doing it and enjoy it. And when you have a passion for this type of work, uh, retirement's irrelevant. Um, you're having a good time. It doesn't matter. Retirement, you know, doesn't matter at all. So it's a, it's a good exactly. situation to be in, in my view. So yeah, that's great. Well, Jeff, uh, tell us how interested parties can reach out to you and your work. Well, um, I do a couple of things. You know, obviously the Delta Report is my main uh, subscription service. Um, but for folks who want to just um, uh, get an idea of some of the stuff I write about, I do have a free service. It's called Market Minute. And if you give me a second here, I can give you the web address for it. If you if you just simply write, type into any uh, web page, you type in jeffclarktrader.com, it should show up the Market Minute, which is my free service. And you can sign up for that. It's a, uh, uh, I write it three times a week. It's an essay that talks about market conditions and, and some of the trades that I'm looking at. And if you like what you see on that and you find that it's, it's, uh, conducive to your trading strategies, then you can, you know, uh, find out a little bit more information about the Delta Report, which is my subscription service, which is always provided, uh, through a link on the market minute. So, you know, not a hard sales push here. Just, you know, like I said, sign up for the free service and get that for a little bit and see if it works for you. Well, Jeff, we appreciate it. And it's been a real pleasure. Same here, Andrew.